Watching us on the tube, I'm not being held captive anywhere. I'm just back on my laptop camera out here in sunny San Diego. You look like you're being held captive. I don't hear. What are you bopping to? I don't hear anything. Looks like you're bopping to something good. There we go. It's Jesse Reyes. Ah, perfect for Wana. <laughs> Is it or no? Are you being sarcastic? I'm being sarcastic. Okay. I but saw like, you. With, I saw you took a picture with her. She had a dog. So you're all Jesse Reyes up. Well, that was that was Wana. I mean, that was that was Wana. That was Rocky. <laughs> that that was your dog. <laughs> yeah, that was Rocky. Why do you have your girlfriend's dog at your job? My lady had something that morning. She had a function she would not have been able to bring Rocky to. I had been with him the night before anyway. You can't just leave him home? We do. We, we are doing that more often. So you have to find times where you can bring him and not bring him. Going to work is the time where you don't bring him. Well, but hold on. No, at ESPN, you're right. But at Hot, he he's welcomed with open arms. Everyone uh-huh. likes Rocky. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Laura's excited when he walks in. I mean, Jesse Reyes lit up. Right. It's like having yeah. a mascot. I mean, yeah, a dog will make girls light up. That's for sure. I mean, come on. And, and by the way, he's not allergenic. He wouldn't even make you sneeze. I just don't like animals. Just don't want these filthy creatures around. Nah, rubbing their fur on me, putting their wet ass nose. Nah, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> so there's no chance you're ever getting the kids a dog. Um, no. No, no chance, or no, there is a chance. There is a chance that they will get a dog, but I have sworn to Allah that I will never walk it, never watch it, never pick up dog shit. Leave it like if I if you going out and I'm home, I'm not watching a dog. Can it be in the house while you're there? It can't come down my area. You're not gonna piss up my fucking couch. Have the kids expressed interest in a in a dog? I mean, yeah, here and there, but it's not like a regular. Nah. Not like. But I will tell you what, Jesse Reyes was one of my favorite conversations I've had in years. Good convo. She's from. She's a Torontonian. Correct. She's Torontonian, she's Colombian, she's like she's spiritual, she's, she's hot too. She's spiritual, she's cool, a lot of therapy talk and, and like just real, authentic, grounded. It was, it, was, it was a really good conversation. Go check it out. Um, and it made me listen to this new album, Yessie, and there's some joints on here, man. She's super talented too. You get swayed easily. Well, there's a lot of good artists out here, and I just don't have a lot of time to get to them. Now, Jesse Reyes, I've been hearing about for years. 
and I've checked in here and there and been like, oh, she seems good, but I didn't have a reason. The conversation just gave me a reason, and she's pretty dope. She's incredible, but save it for Hot 97. Don't bring your Hot 97 bullshit over here. But is that is that Hot 97 bullshit? I don't think we play Jesse Reyes, do we? If Hot doesn't play it, Wanup definitely shouldn't play it. There's not even a fucking question. That's not true. I mean, it can fit in the middle. It's Yes, is it underground rap? No, no, it's not. A talk with her would make more sense than playing her music. I don't like the limitations you're putting on us musically on this show. You get caught up. You did the same thing with the Beyonce album. You get caught up when something new comes out in the pop, hip-hop, R&B world. And you get caught up and then you start to like get giggly and you like play this shit. And you're like, oh, I'm going to play this on one up my platform. Tell me if this fits in to play here or if we shouldn't play it. And you don't stop. Yeah. Going out to my man, Chovy Chove, Grandmaster Supreme and all that. My name is Diamond. Yep, you guessed it. Ran a thousand schemes and I've never been arrested. I guess I'm lucky because I'm young and I'm a black man. And intelligent, so everything is relevant. Vision now, is we're going to bring on A-Track in a minute. But I actually want to have our conversation. We've done, we've done like full career talk with A-Track before. Those episodes exist. I was thinking, Syph, today, we, he'll, we'll ask him, of course, about his Cameron album that just dropped. But I just think we shoot the shit with him and talk about the rapidy rap, you know? I love it. So I thought the first topic we should hit today was that last week, because just so you guys know, we've been a week ahead on recording. We're trying to stay on point. So everyone's getting the Patreons they want. They're getting the, we're trying our best. So we're a week ahead. The downside of that is if you don't plan properly, you can miss something like we happened to miss that last week on the same day. There are a lot of bullshit anniversaries that get thrown out, but showbiz and AG runaway slave Diamond D and the Psychotic Neurotics, Stunts, Blunts, and Hip Hop, and Red Man, What the Album, all shared the same 30th anniversary. I didn't realize um, Showbiz and AG and Diamond D came out on the same day. I didn't realize it was the same day either. Like I knew it was the same time. I did not know it was the same day. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? That's nuts. And so I, I feel like it's the kind of topic that is just ripe for underground nerds such as me, you, and this man, A-Track, to talk about. Oh. A-Track, welcome back to One Up, friend of the show. Hello. We are discussing the fact that last week was the 30th anniversary of Runaway Slave, Stunts, Blunts, and Hip Hop, and What the Album. Did you know that all those albums were the same day? No, I didn't. Because when you think of albums on the same day, you think of that classic Wu-Tang Tribe Called Quest Day. Like, that one everyone yeah. knows. We all know that one. We all know, like, how did you choose? Wait, what else was that day? There was one more thing. Was it Outkast? Oh, yeah? It might have been Outkast's first album. Look at this gentleman sipping a cup of coffee. November 93. <laughs> yeah, November 93. And, and, then, and then there's a bunch of other good ones like that that people think of. Um, in 98, Aquemini, Love Movement, Black Star. Was Lauren Hill in oh, there? Oh, and Lauren. Yeah. I think it might be Lauren, too. Yeah. Whoa. Oh, there's also so that like, day that the Blueprint came out. 
No, Saif. Remember that? Saif, no. Saif, that was different. No, it was a day everyone talks about. (laughs) Didn't Fabulous' album came out that day also, though? His first Mm -hmm. album, I think. I remember uh, when the day Snoop Dogg Doggy Style came out and my parents didn't want me to buy it, I convinced my friend Judd I don't need to buy it anyway because I'm buying Dell No Need for Alarm. (laughs) (laughs) So who needs Doggy Style, bro? Anyways, A-Track, for you as a young Canadian uh, hip-hop head, were you up on and into uh, the Diamond D and Showbiz and AG albums? I was just going to say, that's probably like a year before. You were born? I started really. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Man, it's probably a year before I started really uh, listening to and buying hip-hop. Like, in 92, I was getting into Beastie Boys and Cypress Hill and like, you know, a little bit after that, that led me to Strive and Daylight and a couple of things like that. But I hadn't fully gone, gone there yet. It's culture, it's ethnicity, race, all that stuff factors into like, like, but like, yeah, how did, like, why Beastie Boys and Cypress Hill? Like, why does that crack through? I think sonically it, it spoke to, like, I was listening to rock before that. Right. So, yeah, if you're listening to rock, this is a great gateway. You know, like, so what you want and shit like that. It was just distorted, distorted shit. Like, I didn't know that the beat was on an SP or whatever. I just heard distorted vocals and, and, you know, guitars and shit. But, well, how were you into rock? Was somebody older than you listening to it? Yeah, my brother and I were just discovering music together. And, um, you know, I mean, in 92, I was 10. Um, but I was, you know, that, that was the age when he and I were listening to, to Hendrix and Zeppelin and, you know, Pink Floyd and whatever else. And, and if anything, like the only current stuff I was really into was, was Blood Sugar Sex Magic, Red Hot Chili Peppers. So yeah, it went from going through like that, that like Zeppelin and Hendrix phase to hearing the Beasties and just being like, oh, I, I could fuck with this. And also I think when, the, when the Beasties you know, when those records kind of came along, like at that point in time, you got a couple of friends in high school or, or in middle school or whatever that are like also starting to skate a bit or like, you know, they're wearing the baggy pants. The Beasties are wearing the baggy pants. They're wearing the, like the Carhartt Scullies and shit like that. And you're like, oh, okay, I, I want to dress like that. Like it starts feeling like something that you could also embrace. It's a lifestyle that you want to, uh, that you want to latch onto. I'm trying to think of how to explain the appeal of, of Cypress Hill to a kid that was listening to classic rock a little before. What Cypress album? That's the second one? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so, right? Insane in the Brain was the second album, I think. I think that's Black Sunday, right? Yeah. Yeah, Black Sunday is a, uh, very much in tune with BC Boys. Um, it is. So what you want. Yeah, and it, and it appealed to. The first album is not. No. The first album is definitely more hip-hop. But that's the same with BC Boys album, too. Yeah, so Cypress Hill makes sense with that. But, like, the music you get at that age, man, it sticks It sticks with you forever, man. Oh, for sure. Even even the even the Zeppelin stuff that I was listening to prior to that, I can I can go back to those albums now and I'll still remember every drum fill. Well, that's, that's the thing. When people have the conversations about how much music has changed, yes, music has changed. Always does. Hip-hop is much different now than it was. But more so than that, we change. Like, we, like you were listening to Zeppelin music that was already 
20 some years old when you were listening to it, but it hit you differently. Everybody's always going to think that the best music ever made is the shit that came when they were 14. And it's funny because just this morning I was listening to, uh, uh, so uh, David Spade and Dana Carvey have a podcast that I really like. And, and it's I want to listen to that. I, I heard that. Love that. It's it's dope. And it's all SNL nostalgia from, from the era of the shit that we kind of all grew up on also anyways. And today they find, or not, not today, but this week, they finally have Lauren, Lauren Michaels on as the guest. And he says straight up that like everybody's favorite SNL season will be, or everybody's favorite SNL cast is whoever was on when they were in high school. That makes a hundred percent sense. Bro, I can't tell you how much people, like, hanging out with Michael Che for so many years, I can't tell you how much I hear, oh, SNL sucks this year. SNL sucks. The cast, you should have kept so-and-so. And I'm like, yo, they say this to you every year. And he goes, Lord said they've been saying that to him since the show was created. Like, we got it figured out, guys. You're older. The younger kids are going to like this, this, this person. Then they're going to grow up. And then the next level of kids are going to like this, this, this. But like, you don't see the fucking cycle. I know. It's funny. With SNL, I'm able to pinpoint the emotional part of it easier. Like, like I don't think objectively that the Farley, Sandler, Spade cast is the most talented cast necessarily. But like, I can sense that it hits me in the heart the most it just it just does like that is those sandler movies the death of farley all of that stuff you can feel like that was my era but but talent wise if i'm being objective they've had casts recently that have been incredibly talented yeah they talk about how like um the sort of second generation cast that came right after you know the the steve martins and the whoever was like seen as the worst in the beginning but that turned out to be, you know, Dana Carvey and whoever else. Carvey, Lovitz, um, Victoria Jackson, Elaine Boozler, Tim Meadows. Soon, soon after that, Tim Meadows, you know. Now, but back to the Diamond D of it all. So did you at any point get super familiar with the album as you got into a DJ or no? Is it like not something that's really been in your lexicon your whole life? There's no judgment here, A-Track. <laughs> no, and, and everybody's got their blind spots, right? But like, generally speaking, for me, late 93, 94, you know, I dive in with Bizarre Ride to the Far Side, with Balloon Mind State, Midnight Marauders, the main ingredient, one of the most important albums of my life. And also uh, um, Return to Boom Bap, KRS. And the funny thing with Return to Boom Bap, sometimes I'll tell this story, I would listen to Out of Here, and he's talking about all these older rappers that fell off, but I'm just discovering hip hop. So I'm kind of making mental notes of all the 80s rappers, but also radio DJs or whoever. He's, he's just naming people, right? He's like, I used to listen to Austin 2 on WHBR. He's talking about Public Enemy and this and that. And I'm like, ooh, I need to know who these people are. So I kind of went back and did homework on that. But yeah, generally speaking, I got into hip hop at that point in time, the albums I just named. And even Wu-Tang was a little too weird for me in the beginning. I, I remember going to the record store in Montreal and like, you know, picking up a couple 12 inches, saving up some dollars and, you know, coming home with Smith and Wesson, The Shining is the first LP that I bought. But also hearing, you know, the early Raekwon shit. And, and that took me like maybe six months to get like that was always like on display at the shop. And I'd be like, I don't get this at first. And then once I got it, I loved it. 
Um, but from there on, I started doing my homework backwards. You know, especially once I met, uh, even when, yeah, when even at that age, at like 14 or so, I met a couple of local DJs in Montreal who obviously were younger because they were actual DJs who could play in clubs. But there's like two or three of them that, that you know, took me under their wing and, and also took it up on themselves to be like, yo, this is, this is Run DMC. Let's listen to this album. This, this is Public Enemy. This is uh, EPMD. And uh, kind of learned from there. And then, you know, and I got into scratching kind of right away. And scratching makes you discover electro. Every scratch DJ likes to scratch over nucleus. Why? Because it's so fast? Yeah, yeah. It's fast. It got some like bouncy rhythm to it. So you can really like cut in between all the, yeah, yeah, I get it. That's why like all those records that those little scratch records that have all the different sounds, there's always like some fast electro beat on there. Yeah, exactly. And I would buy those records and, and that would just tell me like, I'm supposed to scratch on uh, it's, it's time uh, on that piece, you know? Uh, so I got to know like 80s electro just from that early 80s stuff. Um, and yeah, stuff like early 90s, you know, uh, uh, Diamond D type of records or even like third bass or whatever, you know, I, I also did the homework on like the previous couple of years. And sometimes it would take me a sec or so. Like I remember really being into Diamond D's um, second album. Hate Your Passion, Infidelity. Yeah. Shit, I don't even think I ever heard that album. It's dope, man. I, I, I went back and listened to it recently. But when I listened to that and then everybody at the record shop would be like, no, yeah, but you got to know stunts, stunts and hip hops. I'd be like, oh, okay, and, and grab that. All at once, I was kind of embracing everything. All at once, I would go to the record shop and they also had Ultimate Breaks and Beats. So I'm like learning about breaks. You know, I was listening to Pete Rock scratching on Bismarcky on every single song on the main ingredient. So I'm yep. thinking, oh, I need to know this Bismarcky guy. <laughs> so I'm like bugging the guy at the record shop. Like, yo, can you order me a Bismarcky You record? told us that. That's And you got well, all samples cleared? Yeah, yeah. I got a Business Baddest Beats. Oh, Business happened. Baddest Beats. Yeah. Right. So I'm discovering Bismarcky from that. But then from there, it's like, oh, okay, Marley Marl, you get to hear, you know, what else he produced. and, and um, can, I, can I sidebar you one second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just saw um, Just Blaze on Kwali's podcast talking about the difference between Mecca and the Soul Brother and Main Ingredient. And he was really bigging up Main Ingredient like it was one of the most important albums. The best. Why, why is that? Why is Main Ingredient so important to you? Uh, the beats. I mean, I love it, but not more than Mecca and the Soul Brother. For me personally, maybe there's like a generational thing. I also like Midnight Marauders more than love uh, more than uh, low end theory me too and and Seif does yeah, not yeah that but that's th- that's like a, a there's a line in the sands between you know who prefers either one of those records maybe there's a similar thing i mean it's kind of the same years for me um i still really love main ingredient just because of the way that he was what he was what Pete was doing with samples like just the way that he was like layering shit filtering shit really really flipping stuff um it, there, there was an artistry to it that, I mean, Mechan the Soul, Soul Brother is amazing, but to me, it's just a little bit more, you know, classic James Brown type loops. By the time Pete got into uh, Main Ingredient, he was digging for like a different type of records, not just jazz, like definitely some jazz, but also just like all the in-between shit that people got into digging in those years. Like, you know, like, 
those weird like I'm gonna listen to it. I'm gonna listen to it again with I bet ever since I heard Just Blaze say that I would say I'm gonna listen again with that ear. I love the album. I'm not knocking it, but like it kind of slows down a little bit where I used to really like his up tempo shit. I think this plays into what we were just talking about with age. Yeah, she's like, like even she's just like those two, two three years. years difference. Yeah, like I just I, I, that's what I think it is. Like, I'm, are you like Main Ingredient better? I listen to Main Ingredient more probably, but like when I think of Pete, I still probably think of the sounds from Mecca and the Soul Brother first. But you know what? You know what I think's trouble. The tough thing about Main Ingredient is, I believe that for a classic album, it had one of the sort of worst least representative first singles of anything take you there no i gotta love was the first one. Oh, i gotta love is dope though do you think it's a dope single i think it's an album that doesn't even really lend itself to singles it doesn't it's an album album you know, the, you know why main ingredient also i mean all pete rock albums have this but the skits this the, the little interlude beats on main ingredients are Crazy. Oh yeah, they're insane. Yeah, those, insane. Are, those are those are in fun. Well, it looked like on Mecca and the Soul Brother, he just had little loops that he would, didn't use it to make beats, but they just played. And Mecca and in Main Ingredient, it looks like he produced some of those interludes. I realized that there's probably a, uh, an age thing where, like, you know, Mecca and the Soul Brother probably like turned more heads onto like, yo, who's this? But the one that impacted me is Main Ingredient and. You know, it's wild how much like the style of hip hop changed from, you know, 91, 92 to 94. I mean, it still it still bugs me out sometimes when I, you know, if I listen to uh, if I listen to even just like Ready to Die, there's a couple songs like Respect or whatever that are still on some like. 92 93 kind of energy and then you got like the darker grimy you know joints that are oh, ready to die yeah those some of those songs were recorded in 90 91 whatever it was when he was on uptown and they kept some of them so night night ready to die biggie album ready to die and you're literally watching like a kid go through high school where from a freshman to a senior and like how much doper he is but it's it's all dope but it's like, oh, on this song, he's a kid. And on this song, he's... And then once you get to One More Chance remix that's not even on the album. Yeah. It's like, oh, he's a, he's in college now. We just watched this whole kid grow up. And there's certain artists that kind of got... Like, you know, when you talk about, like, the best artists of certain eras. And, you know, early 90s had that more sort of, I don't know, fun, like, leaders of the new school vibe. And then mid-90s got really grimy with like the Wu-Tang sound and Mob Deep and everything. And, I, and there's a couple artists that also like almost got stuck between those generations. Cause like even someone like a, like a special ed was so young when he first came out. And like later on, I, I, I dug through and like discovered some of the shit that he was doing in like 93, 94. That was dope. But I don't think people really peeped it as much cause he was in between those generations. Even the Lord Finesse to me, like a, like Finesse is a hip hop hero. And sometimes I feel like he doesn't get named enough because he's a little bit, he straddled those, those eras. I want to spend a second here on the album just for a second. I, I imagine type there are people who listen to One App. It's like, to me, I assume that if you listen to this podcast, you know every word to Stunts, Blunts, and Hip Hop and Runaway Slave. But I realize that's not true, I'm sure. It's not, it's not. It's, it's, it was even underground to hip hop. That's the important thing is that like 
the reason I was obsessed with it, I think, was partially because it was so underground. Like, I felt so cool. Full scale is dope. That shit is grimy. <laughs> what? Yeah, full scale EP is fun. No, I don't think. I think. I think. I think in this instant, people would know Diamond D way more than Runaway Slave. I think so Slave. too. Everyone, I, I imagine most people know this. You see, I dip to my loo like Napoleon at Waterloo. My name is Diamond D. Tell you what I'm gonna do. I dip and I dab like a Mike Tyson jab. Even though the classic video with Anthony Mason from the Knicks in the video playing basketball. Even with a fanny, and I might win a Grammy. Maybe I won't. Listen, this album starts so strong. Second, second song. Sife, did this get a mix show play in New York? It did, right? Yeah, but mostly underground. Like, yeah, the underground. I mean, you got this. Like, you have one after another on this album. It's really, it's wild. Oh, you said Brand Nubian? What is it? What what is this song about? This? Oh, this song? Yeah, what is this song about? I'll, I'll yeah. explain it to you in a second. It's just a day in the life of three black men. It's just a day in oh. the life of three black men. Yeah. It's just a day three different days. Well, one day, three people. I wake up to the sun in the morning at the justice hour. Refinement is an order, so I'm Yo, Brand Nubian has so many sleeper appearances that, like, you don't immediately think of. You know, like Show Business by Tribe and this record by Diamond. Like, they pop up on so much dope shit. Now, were you in the school of people, A-Track, that when New York shit came out by Busta, did you remember this? Yeah. Because we were mind blown when Scratch and Busta and them were like, we didn't know it. What? Seif and I were like, how is that possible? Wait, what? Seif, <laughs> you don't remember? I'm mind blown right now. You're mind blown again? They said that? Yeah, we asked them. We had we had one of them on. We had Busta, I think, on, and we're like, we gotta ask you. You said you said, yo, DJ Scratch, you sick for this at the beginning of that record. Oh like, yeah, but you oh, know yeah. that was already done, right? Like that was a classic. And they were like, Busta, I remember telling us. He said he was on tour already. He was running around. He wasn't listening to albums like that. And so they missed. I went for mine, which is an album cut on Diamond D. I actually, you know what? I could see that happening. No, it's believable. I, I actually, I do believe it. It was some, listen, we knew it because we were nerdy backpack DJs. Like, I, I could see them missing it. Um, uh, Then you get, of course, this. Yo, this is the big motherfucking L, you know what I'm saying? And I'm glad to say that real rap is back and that wick whack bullshit is gone. Peace. Correct. This is the one rule, boy. Show me for show days and AJ. And I like to say, I chop off the head of anybody that commercialize. Peace. Real hip hop back on the mic. Come now. Rewind. Man. It's ri- if you guys have never spent time with it, yeah. it's absolutely bonkers. And I think you're right, A-Track, like, both you guys, like, Runaway Slave probably is the more underground of the two. I mean, hey, they're yo, both yo, underground. Baby J, man. Yo, what's yo, up, yo, showbiz? Yo, start them chasing. You ready to do this, you know what I'm saying? Nah, 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 not that, man. I did that three years ago, man. We got to kick him with a new flavor. You know what time it is. You got to come correct, man. All right, yo, Chris, drop the new flavor on him. Come on, Dash. Dash. <laughs> 
Who's Chris? Who's Chris? Who's Chris and who's Das? Chris and Das. We gotta ask Showbiz. Why is that? His, why is that Showbiz's fake patois voice? I like how on every album in the in that in that era there was one song with the with the reggae guy. <laughs> <laughs> really, it was almost obligatory. You had you had to have it. Even even the aforementioned respect, Biggie had to have the patois vocals on it. If I may, if I if I may suggest a little nudge of direction here, it's almost too easy to geek out on how how dope Diamond D and Show and AG were. But when you, when you mentioned just being backpackers, the, I, right away my mind just went to like, yo, why don't we just? I want to talk about actual backpack like Godfather Don and 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 Scaramanga and and nonfiction album cuts and like that era. That's my shit. That's the Cypher sounds. Um... Fat Beats days. And I used to come down to Fat Beats just from Montreal, like on some like pay homage to, to, to the Mecca, just go in and get dissed by, by Ill Bill, you know, before he knew me. Kind of, like, you're going to hear this record. Now you don't want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Yo. I love the whole product. Like, it's a rite of passage as a young hip hop fan from, from those years to go to Fat Beats just to get sunned. And then. And then after a while, you start, they start being cool to you. And then you get, and they're like, oh shit, that's, Breeze is working here. This person's working here. And you just get to know, Sad was nice on the cuts. Y'all remember this? This is the first uh, nonfiction single I remember. Drop, drop. I stash concealables under my underwear. Yeah. Fuck the mother crews. I got the hundred goons blessing you with punch rules. Nothing remains. 1999, the world changed. Now it's saying the devil leaves the righteous man slain, but the brain function reincarnate, reproduction. It's Rebel- funny for where they went, for where nonfiction ended up going. It's actually pretty straight ahead hip hop. That single. Search was w- working with them in the beginning too. That's what I was about to say. Like I was there at Fat Beats when they like would come in with that with the beat. And then with the demo, and then with the the vinyl, you know what I'm saying? I watched it all, and uh, yeah, Search had a, a big part in the early version, but still super underground. And like, because me and Rosenberg have this argument all the time about like, there's this uh, element of, you know, I'm not I'm not saying just because it's because you guys are white, but there's an element of like this non party ish. Like you can't dance to any of these songs, so it automatically cuts out a a, a factor of of people that would buy music. You know what I mean? There's a big scaring the hose element to, <laughs> to to those to the to yeah to the the rap ciphers of those years. White guys love Big L. Yes, right. Yes, and I and I always try to. Like my stupid brain, I'm always trying to figure out why things are. And they're like, yo, big, you knew Big L? You knew Big L? And I'm like, yo, you know how many more people I know that are bigger? But they they nerd out about Big L. And it's like um, they listen to, you know, the, the it's almost like listening to jazz where you kind of just sit there and listen to it where like a lot of hip hop we used to. Okay, look at it like this. Think of it like this. Look what LP's doing now, now that he has a black guy in the group. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, there was black guys in Company Flow, but I'm just saying like, and it, he's making the same music, but it has a little more like stadium rocker energy with Run the Jewels. You know what I mean? I fucked up. I wish I bought all that shit when it was literally right in front of my face. 
the Dr. Octagon, the the fucking um what was the other company flow with the other guys? Indelible MCs. Indelible MCs. Oh, that one I think actually I do have that though. I went on the Stretch and Barbito show when I was fifteen and I did a beat juggle on on Indelible MCs. Wow. What record? Uh, I think it's the fire in the shoe burn. The one, the one yeah. that was like boom, 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 cat, that one. Boom, boom, cat, cat, cat. Yeah, that was crazy. I mean, everything was so was was like experimental and futuristic too. Like even you remember that the MF Doom, MF Grimm song that would like slow down and speed back up. I think it was called Tick Tick. And then I remember just geeking out like, yo, the beat slows down and then it speeds back up. Like it was just on some like you know studio geek out shit. Yeah. That joint. I don't think I remember this. It's crazy. Was it on Fondolm? The random Fondolm joint? I think so. I think so. Walk the path of Jesus, witness of hell freezes, the mind teases, reality cracked to pieces, nothing eases, being chastised with blood baptized. Oh, that's crazy. Acknowledge past lives, statements will be made, acknowledge me. Acknowledge me. My mind is heaven's gate, so enter me. Enter me. My mind's the gate to hell, so try to flee. But I feel you that it's some scare the hose shit, but it's scare <laughs> It is scare the hose music. It's definitely... But yeah, I mean, you could play necro cockroaches, and yeah, that's that's scaring the hose music, but it's hilarious. I wonder if, like, if you put out a, uh, if you were super nerd underground and you put out your own shit, if you were making more than a showbiz and AG, right? I mean, yo, you know what? So I'll, I'll tell you what was the key to making money in those years because I had my first independent label starting in like '97. We got a distribution deal with with Fat Beats, Rock Raider. Uh, Rest in peace, plug me with Rich King over there. And then Pat Beat started pressing our vinyl. And what record did you put out first? The first stuff that we put out, that label was called Audio Research. What color were the record label? Where there was the record label? Uh, it was, we didn't have like a, a, a generic sleeve for everything. Um, it was different designs each time. But we had a group in Montreal, literally with our friends from high school, that was called Obscure Disorder. I was going to say, was it Obscure Disorder? That's what the record I thought it was. And that, by the way, that, that name is 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 very lyricist lounge cerebellum. Oh my god! <laughs> Hypothalamus it's, it's, cerebellum rest. <laughs> um, and while having that label, myself and Craze and my you know DJ battle friends, we started making battle records. And the battle records, you know, the joints with the scratch samples, that was the cash cow for any label. The records cost nothing to make. They're all bootlegs. You're stealing scratch samples from other records. So they cost $0 to make. You pay your buddy $200 to design, to design the cover, and that's it. And you're selling them for $20 a pop, and every DJ buys at least two copies. But really, they probably burn those two, so they buy four copies of a $20 record that goes all to you that costs nothing to make. That shit was like, that, that, was, that was the lick. When you made those records, man, we're all over the place, which is great. I love this. When you made those records, did you time out where every sample would go so it would be on beats or something? Um, well, you could do uh, you could do uh, 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 locked grooves or even just what we would call skip proof sections where where that would be timed out. For like a section of the records, you could have like the same samples that come back at every rotation of the groove. 
so that if your needle skips and you're scratching on ah and it goes like three three grooves over you're still on ah and the way to do that was that like the 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 phrase would repeat at the at the duration of one loop of the record so you're doing math with 33 and a third you're like okay 33 and a third so if the bpm is 33 and a third you know times four that's you know 133 bpm then it's it repeats on every every loop that's how you do lock grooves also who else did you put out after obscure disorder and 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 beat records and uh scratch records what'd you put out on audio research we put out um there was a group from toronto called brass monk we put out uh, i think one of their singles there was a uh, a canadian producer called dj serious oh i remember dj serious uh, I, I i i knew dj serious Oh, dope. Yeah, he did some shit with Master Ace around that time. We put out his album, and there was, like, another local Montreal uh, MC. His name was D-Shade. We put, that was, like, our second record. And we put out one single by D-Styles from the Invisible Scratch Spickles, uh, just from my friendships over there. But that was mostly it. it was just, you know, we would do, like, one or two 12 inches a year. That's, you know, my brother and I were in school. We are just, you know, making records with friends on the side. Yo, is it safe to say that of the late 90s underground Canadian rap, one of the people who maybe made it the furthest in terms of like just continuing to have a career and make money, but not big in the U.S. Uh, was Mocha only? Possibly. Yeah. I mean, he, he definitely did have. a um... Dude, he's, I'm looking right now. He has albums out every year going back to 97. That's dope, man. Big up to him. That's great. Yeah, I think I feel like he figured out like even on the touring side you know, his audience. Um, Chaos has had a healthy career too for a long time. Chaos is Montreal, right? No, uh, I think Toronto is not for Montreal. Uh, I think it was Montreal. In Montreal, we had French rappers. How big was the Rascals uh, Northern Touch record, actually? That was big. In Canada, that was big. I, I know, I know, like, one of Juno, and everyone said it was a huge deal, but it wasn't big in the U.S. Like, we, it, that record was not a big record. And it's the, it's the Get At Me Dog sample, right? Yeah. What's yeah. That? Right. That's my friend. Oh, Sipe, you know that guy. That's your friend. Oh, Thrust. I forgot about Thrust, too. To be honest, so did I. <laughs> Yo, I was with... Yeah, he just... I was just in Toronto for the JFL Comedy Festival. Toronto version, not the Montreal. So, I was with... Cardi did my podcast, and he hung out. Russell Peters did a... Russell Peters did a concert. Nice and smooth. EPMD. Big Daddy Kane. Crystal Waters. Jeanne. Flavor Flav. <laughs> Yo, Russell Peters is, 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 he's keeping that whole generation paid, and I love it. And shout out to him for that. Bro, the love, oh my God, it was, fed, it was a fantastic show. And they do this thing where, like, they come out and do, like, three, four songs, and then they leave, and it seems like, oh, they didn't do, what you call it, which, and they come back later. Oof. Killing it. By the way, my point was, it's really cool to, be with Cardi, who I've been known for since 99, because he's on Canada's Got Talent. So he's getting all this other love, like from kids and w older white people. When we walk by, they go, is that Cardinal Fischel? You know what I mean? Like, 
That's so cool, man. I, I, cause you've told me that before that he's on it and it's wild. Cause I mean, it's like, it's him and Trish Stratus, who's a WWE icon from Toronto. And I don't, I don't remember who the third judge is, but like, it's obviously a huge gig. And then Howie Mandel's on it too. Yo, that's such a crazy look for Cardi. It's crazy. Does he ever just perform old killing time for no reason? Old time killing? That's what I mean. What do you mean? If he's ever anywhere, he has to. <laughs> he gets sick of it. He told me that night, he goes, don't play old time killer. I'm like, I'm going to play it. I'm going to play it. What about Bacardi slang? Does he ever do that? Oh, yo, he does a lot of shows, bro. He does Bacardi slang. No, no, I don't mean, I don't mean at Cardinal concerts. I mean just on stage on Canada's Got Talent, okay? <laughs> oh, on Canada's Got Talent. I don't think they would allow, I don't think those samples were cleared. <laughs> yo, this, this crazy shit with sample cameras is like, there's a, uh, What's it called? Like, there's a point. There's a there's an amount of time after which, like, you can't get sued anymore. I think statute of limitation. Statute of limitations. Yes. Thanks. I learned, by the way, this so many so many things about the criminal system that I just learned from from listening to rap as a kid. Like, so like just being a little Canadian good kid and listening to records and be like, oh, what's a parole officer? What's this? And what's that? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, because I saw this big interview, this long interview with um, with Bob James. And they were playing him rec- like all the various records that sampled Nautilus in the eighties. Was he sitting on a couch with like three guys? Yeah, it was. Um, let the record play with bro. With, that um, interview is so fire. Yeah, and he can't do anything about all those samples. And I'm like, oh man, I can't wait to get to that point with some of my records just to be able to to fess up. Yes, I sampled this. You can't sue me. It's all. It's just about Nautilus. Yes, yeah, just Nautilus. Crazy. Yeah. Well, they're playing like children's story where they, you know, replay the the melody. I did not even realize they were playing certain songs that I didn't even know came from Nautilus. And I love Nautilus. Nautilus is the first, the first record I ever bought because of a sample, because of Nautilus. You know what I mean? Like Bob James won. And and isn't Mardi Gras on the same record too? No, Mardi Gras is the other one. Nautilus is one. Mardi Gras is two, I believe. Okay, okay, I forgot. Like, I bought that because of that sample. You know who had a dope one that no one ever talks about? King's Son. King's Son had a Nautilus sample that I used to fucking love that record, man. I forget what it was called. It was always on video. You know, like my my era is video music box. So like whatever Ralph McDaniels was playing was the shit I got put up on. That's how I got put up on Diamond D and Showbiz and AG. I think I found the King Sun Nautilus record you're talking about. Big shots. Once upon a time, there was a big diesel kid who just got sprung from a fire. I don't know. This is a long time. You know what it is? About to act up. Out on the block, he played the average street games, gambling, scrambling just to build up a name. Fucked a few pockets and got him a spot. Not until he bought the Benz did his name get hot. Out on the street, slinging big rocks and concrete. Those who tried to play him, they cold got beat. I mean, cold. Listen, people are going to leave this week's episode with a playlist of new music. Billy, remind me to get King's Son on the show. I, I 
feel like we kind of have to have a Necro Ill Bill episode. Absolutely. Yo, my brother somehow, don't ask me how, stumbled onto some crazed anti-Semitic website. And on the website, there was like a full documentaries basically using Necro and Ill Bill as the proof <laughs> that Jews are like sick maniacs. I mean, I'm talking about deranged deranged Nazi lunatic videos with like yellow stars on the, like it's crazy shit, but like, yeah, their reference point is like, do you see Necro? That's fucking hilarious. The G. (laughs) Jews are very good at finding people who don't like Jews. Wait, Jews are very good at it? Yes. Oh, the best. Trust Saif. I'm I'm notorious for it. Um, Now, did you ever realize Saif when you watch Borat, uh, either the first one or the second one, did you realize that the hilarious irony of the fact that the gibberish he's speaking is Hebrew the entire movie? <laughs> yeah. Like, I did not know that until I started dating Natalie when we watched the second Borat, and she started being like, oh, he's speaking Hebrew, and started translating everything he's saying. I, you know that, A-Track? I didn't know. I don't understand Hebrew, but someone told that to me when, when like around the time that it came out, so I did know. And it's so funny because the anti-Semitism is so OD. Like his the running of the Jew, the (laughs) the running of the Jew is the craziest shit of all time. (laughs) So, um, a track, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you about the Cameron album. You wasn't there. How the hell did you manage to get this done? Because from what I can tell, it's hard to get Cameron to show up to literally anything, which I'm sure you've experienced through, through your attempt at a press run the last week. Yeah. Um, I mean, so how did you, how did you manage the this? album title is, is fitting. Um, <laughs> it's about Cameron. It's, um, man, perseverance. <laughs> this album's old, right? It was recorded over many, many years. It was recorded in, in bits starting in like late 2013 yeah 13 14 yeah and it was kind of like you know dame's idea to put us together at that point in time uh i wanted to get cam on a song if anything but at the same time you know i was kind of in full swing and doing fool's gold day off and like a lot of rappers weren't really playing at festivals yet but we were doing our own festival and you know putting on like the early Travis Scott performances and the ASAP kids and the, you know, zombies and Bronson. And then that tools gold, we had, we had Danny, of course. And, um, killing it. Yeah. Thank you. And, and, um, and Dane was aware of that. And like, I had even booked Arab music at some pools gold day off performances. And, you know, Arab was managed by Duke, the God, but he played and got a booking agent started playing these big EDM festivals. Um, so when I hit Dame, to get a verse from Cam, he just went into, you know, brainstorm mode and was like, now what you should do is you should get Cam to play your festivals. I saw you, I saw what you did with A-Rab music. How, you know, you got to get Cam on that stage. And right away he's kind of thinking like, you guys should do a project, do an EP. I'll, you know, I'll connect you to, he just needs to like feel comfortable around you. Like Cam doesn't really work with just anyone, but like if I'm there and I tell him, trust me, then, you know, and then you play him the right beats. You guys could do. Did you already know Dame? Yeah, I knew Dame. Um, Dame was there when I met Kanye, uh, you know, almost 10 years before that. And, and that's when I met Dame. Uh, right. Like I, I met him and Ye at the same time 10 years before. And so I just kept in touch with him a little bit. 
and but you know he's like he knew what i was doing at that point in time too so yeah right away he was kind of like you guys should actually do a project and then bring it to your festival bring it to fool's gold day off you know tour it um which was a great idea and then we started recording and we put out there was a first song called humphrey that we put out that still out for now but there was like a sample issue with that but then we put out dipshits um where we you know i got just blaze to help co-produce the beat and we got jewels on the hook cam and jewels hadn't done shit together i mean what i kind of realized around that time is that even cam and dame hadn't reconnected in a while and when when i went to dame and he you know, had the idea of actually making a project out of this. Part of this was also Dame and Cam getting to spend time together for the first time in a while too. And, but we did the Dipshits record. We shot the video with uh, my homie, Ricky Says, who was working at Supreme at the time. And he had just done a Beyonce video. He, so he did a beautiful video for us. That was this whole sort of like uptown meets downtown shit with like some scenes in Harlem, but some scenes, you know, downtown with a bunch of kids from the New York scene at pointing to um and we announced the project we called it federal reserve and we announced the project and we were recording a couple songs and then cam started like not really showing up to the sessions and like then he went on tour and then i went on tour and everybody kind of went on their own schedule um and you know we had the cover of complex magazine and an, and an ep announced that the record wasn't actually finished <laughs> you know and then two three years later Dane kind of gets, you know, gets excited about trying to finish the record again, calls me, calls Cam, yo, let's, let's finish this. And we did, a, you know, a few more sessions. And then I think the year after that, we did, we kind of finished up recording. Uh, and in the middle of that, I was like getting guests and Cam was kind of on some, like, I'm down for whatever for the guests, but, um, you know, he, he would just sort of show up and record, you know, and it was up to me to like, piece the record together and it over time it turned into like my project to, to, to finish and and like my mission to make like the ultimate Cameron album that i wanted to hear as a fan because i you know love cam um and you know i want to make him seem too disinterested because every time when we linked up and recorded he was always mad cool nicest host we go to his house in jersey he literally cooked for everybody like he's bad fun to hang out with but then in between the sessions you know i would kind of take the files home completely switch the beats. Like I might record them to one sketch of a beat and take it home and make a whole new beat to it or like replace a sample or get a beat that a friend of mine started because the sample felt dipset-ish, but the drums weren't quite right. And I would take it home, take the stems, redo the drums to make them sound more like some some heat maker shit or some dig uh, uh, Dame Grease kind of beat. Like really putting myself in like 2002 mode and thinking like, all right, I want my snare to sound like it was too in an MC, but I'm unable to. And how do I do that? And just figuring out the sound for that, you know, um, and and piecing it together. Yeah. Do you have one song? It's obviously been such a long process. What's the what's the song that you currently enjoy the most? Uh, right now, I'm really I'm really on Cheers. Also, because Cheers kind of got cut from the record for a while, and I, I was able to put it back this year. And I think it's some of one of his best verses um on the album so i'm just happy that we kind of brought the song back at the last minute let's hear a little piece of cheers 
couldn't go to consumer route. I'm the one porn stars and models make our rumors bout. I just tune them out, fisticuffs at my wrists and cuffs. Roaches, mice, rats, in fact, they all live with us. Got an opportunity killer, he wasn't slipping up. Had cokeheads like the K9 unit, yeah, they was sniffing up. Money made them acknowledge us. Neil Barrett, the collars up. Hustlers in the circle, we pray, okay, let the bottles touch. Good graces, aces, hallelujah. All these scholars out of college can't get a job, try to school ya. I'm a dawn like Shula, Rick the ruler, hit the jeweler, get the mule about the moolah. Eating sherbet in Bermuda. Consecutive wins, executive producer. Ain't the filter off, no makeup, I best you turn to Medusa. Young girls, the cougars, suck it up like a hoover. They love the way I maneuver as champions and losers. Just fire. You did this one. You produced you produced all these? Well, I know just did uh dipshits. Just did uh additional production, co-production on dipshits. I co-produced all of them. So this one started with a beat that uh, this dude DJ Thorough did. And then oh, DJ Thorough. Like, yeah, he he uh DJs for Raekwon. Thorough did a, a great job in a couple of the verses. Dope. Yeah, yeah. He's dope. He's the, and then I uh I like switched up the sample um with uh g do you know if cam i don't even know how to word this do you know if cam knows how big he is in the hipster world yeah hipster is a perfect way to put it he does because he sells merch to them he, he said he sees his merch cam is an excellent businessman as you can see with pink horsepower he's a great businessman i hope you guys are both aware of, of pink horsepower of cam's business that's his sex drink right yeah he he sells a uh, erection uh pills or the juice or something <laughs> what so that yo yeah, that's cameron sex drink son yeah and i think <laughs> i think it's i think he's doing very good business with that like it seems to be selling like hotcakes cameron's selling the sex juice he's moving this now, why is he so big in the hipster world? You know what's funny? It's like him and Ghostface, right? Yeah. And like, I think some of it is the Tumblr generation. And when you think about it, with Cam with the pink fur or Ghost with the with the, the, the Wonder Woman arm, the eagle on the arm, um, like some of those pictures were, were iconic when like the whole concept of of iconic photos for like the hip hop generation became a thing, I think on Tumblr, like even before Instagram, I think that's part of it. And I think, you know, the sort of the abstract raps, right? Like the computers, Putin uh, style of cam or, or the Supreme Plantel style of ghost, like that sort of Dada abstract uh, lyricism, you know, like almost on some nihilistic shit. There's like hipster fans that I'm happy for any hip hop artist to get any fan base to go on and make a living. I I love it in every which direction, but there's like some, some of those hipster fans and they'll say, Oh, I love Cameron or I love Ghostface. And then they'll be like, Ghostface was in Wu-Tang. Right. Or like they, or they, or they, or they've never, or they never listened to SDE. Of course. I think part of it is also that white hipsters in particular are fascinated with rap artists that are 1000% authentic. Right. You know, yeah. like the same reason they love 
The same reason they love Ghost and Cam is why some of those same hipsters hate Drake. Correct. Drake seems like something they can relate to who's pretending to play the part. Cam and Ghost seem like, no, these dudes are literally this all the time. I, I think that's a big piece of it. They just happen to record it. Yes, but it's them. And this year and this year, right. And I'm not saying that's accurate on both sides, but I'm just saying I think that's the feeling. Right. And and um, I mean, the clips were in that category for a long time, too. I think the clips for years were getting booked at every sneaker convention and, you know, agenda, straight, agenda trade shows and all that. But the clips are actually much more performative to me than Ghostface and Cam. I, th- I, I, would, I agree with like you. Like, Pusha, Pusha the guy is not Pusha the rapper. Like, yes, in terms of how he sounds or, you know, he, he's a very cool guy, but, like, the drug raps of the clips is a is a performance sort of art for them. There's a self-awareness there. Yeah, Pusha knows what he's doing, where Cam, it's funny you say that Cam and Ghostface, you turn the mic on, you turn the mic off, same talk, same same person. Yeah, and, and not for nothing, but when, when when the Pharrell and Kanye and sort of Lupe generation came around, that was a big change in the persona of the rappers. But that was, I think that was probably needed at that time too. Like the, the facade needed to come down. Which like that style of rapper always fascinated me, you know, just even as a white kid from Canada coming down to the US, like I start winning these DMC battles. I start getting booked in America. And next thing you know, I'm like meeting a couple rappers and and... They were like superheroes to me. Like, by the way, Ghostface being a giant, like I remember first coming to New York and then as I ran into like over the years, you know, seeing Primo, seeing Ghostface. I mean, by the way, Q-Tip is, is larger than life. And I'm like, that's my hero on records. And like, fittingly, he looks like, like my hero in person too. He's just this dude that's like, almost like comes out of the record, you know? Yo, I was, like I said, I did that Russell Peters thing. EPMD, both of them giants. Fucking, oh man, EPMD records. I forget how much I like them until you hear them live again. Like, fuck it. I, they were doing Gold Digger. I was like, I forgot how dope this beat was. Oh, you know who else was there? Um, uh, Not Hank Shockley, the other one. Keith Shockley, bro. 60 years old. He was on stage with it, bro. I was, I go, yo, can I nerd out for like 10 minutes? He goes, yeah, go ahead. I'm like, how are you doing this? Or how are you doing this? You know what I mean? Like I said, I got to get him on the podcast. We're friends on Instagram and shit. Like he's, he's mad cool, really reachable. But yeah, like you said, like what's fascinating to me also in that era is when making beats required like some, you know, magic in, in, in the lab, like, you know, even the Beastie Boys making tape, tape loops on, on License to Ill, like running a piece of tape all around the whole room. That's what Eric told me. He said to make um, It's Your Thing, the doom, 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 doom. They had to run the tape the, that length around the room. And I was, I was trying to, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. And then my brain was like, what the fuck? Why? Why, <laughs> why did that ha- I'm trying to figure out why did that have to be a thing? It's fucking nuts. That loop is how many bars? Doom, 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 doom. Yeah, I mean, like the sampler might not. I mean, even certain records. 
where you, you'll hear about, you know, the producer just sort of hitting the hi-hat or the 808 like manually through the length. I was, I spoke to Muggs recently because um, I did a project on the SP1200 last or at the beginning of uh, this year. Yeah. I learned how to use an SP during the pandemic and I, and I started making house beats on it and I put out two EPs only made on the SP1200. And I got to know some, you know, some of the producers originally using the SP a little more. And I went to uh, I went to Muggs' studio in LA and just kind of filmed him. And he took out his old SP and he's putting in some some discs. Literally, just by accident, he's loading up the sample for like jump around, and like you know uh, how I could just kill a man and some of that shit. But he was telling me, like I was asking him how. Obviously, there's only ten seconds of sample time on the SP. And as I'm learning to use it, I'm like, okay, I can make a beat on it, but what about like the extra shit, like the layers that come in during the hook or the loops and stuff? And Muggs was telling me that he would make the beat, put it to tape, and then if you wanted to add more shit to it, you know, you sort of, you clear the memory, load in some new sounds, and let's say like the 808 and whatever else, he would just hit those manually through the length of the whole song as an overdub. And, you know, there's... You could sync it, but he just didn't have the patience to do it or whatever. So he would he would hit a lot of those things. They would learn just learning how to do it. They didn't they didn't even know what Simpty was sometimes. Exactly, exactly. So you would have like the main pass of the beat and then other shit on top. Um, I mean, even one of my favorite stories like that, uh, Sean C. Shout out to Sean C. He uh, told me this story about when he was executive producing Pun's album, Capital Punishment, and and you know, they got the beat from RZA for Tres Leches. And, and I guess they were listening to the beat and everybody was like, this is cool, but it's missing something. I see the RZA's years was just kind of sloppy. Like whatever you got is what you got. And they wanted to add a hi-hat to it, but there was no Simti to the ADAT or whatever kind of tape he brought in. So Sean himself manually played an, a hi-hat over the whole Tres Leches beat as an overdub, just kind of sitting here, sitting there in the studio and hitting every hi-hat. Yeah, but that's how drummers did it anyway. So that probably gave it a little extra swing. You're right. You're right. See if I, I want to see if I can hear the hi-hat. Yep. It needed that hat. It did need it. It did need it. That is a very interesting RZA beat. I love that beat. I know. I love it too. It just doesn't fit in with like, it's hard. You wouldn't know it was RZA. I wouldn't at least. It didn't. It doesn't feel RZA to me. No, it sounds like a RZA beat. It doesn't sound like a Wu-Tang beat. There you go. Okay, sorry. You know what I mean? But at that time, he had not done a lot of, a ton of outside production yet. That's like when you listen to Premiere's first outside beats, you can tell it's a Premiere beat, but not a Gangstar beat. Right. And sometimes it would be mixed different. Right. Or even just mastered different. Like 10 Crack Commandments has a subbier kick, like more subs to the kick than any Gangstar or other uh, Primo productions because 10 Crack Commandments was mastered by, you know, the Puffy Machine. So they went and, you know, gave more low end to that kick. 
every beat on Biggie's second album, Puffy and Stevie J and them went in and added extra shit or whatever, except for the primo ones. They just kind of cleaned them up, but they didn't add like extra strings and fucking. They didn't add the Hitman hi-hats. You know, now that we're in the era of like splice sample packs, I'm always saying that I want I want a Hitman or Track Masters shakers, triangles, and hi-hats. And, and fake scratches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was just, I have that. I have that keyboard, the Triton. It was just in the Triton. It used to be like... <laughs> oh, the fake scratch. They loved that. They loved a fake scratch. Oh, by the way, um, before we wrap this up, I bothered both of you this past week about uh, what controller should I get? I want you both to know a decision was made. Did you bring that to Buffalo? Because I saw your pictures from Buffalo. No, Buffalo, I was using CDJs. But that may have been part of the influence. In the end, I decided to get the DDJ SRT, which basically feels like two CDJs. SRT? SRT 1000. Oh, that's the new one. Yeah, is it the new one? Yeah, it's built in Serato. Um, it's it's cool, man. Like it it seems really dope. I was way in between that and the rain. The rain, the wheels actually move. It felt appealing, but at the same time, I feel like I've never had a Pioneer, and Pioneer is such an industry standard at this point that it's useful to practice on a Pioneer. Pioneer for me is I don't know what it is about my style, but Pioneer is way better. Something about the rain. It doesn't connect with me. And I, I love their products. I have a signature rain mixer, so I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm the team rain over here. Your, wait, your, your signature rain was like, it was like a 62 plus kind of deal, right? It was, it's a 70. It came out during the pandemic. Uh, still available, the 8-track rain 70. It looks fire. Thank you. I love rain. I've had a 62 for a long time. I've, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of it. The Pioneer is interesting that some people are more comfortable on it because switching from Rain to Pioneer, just using the little knob for effects to pick where the effects go as opposed to Rain, which is button push to pick the effect, it's really different. Like, it is a vastly... The Pioneer feels slightly more analog than the Rain to me. It's not, but it feels it. The older Rain mixers and the newer ones is, like, not even really the same company. Like, the Rain... 60 whatever like that's that was the original like those rain when they were based in like washington state or something and then they got bought out and it's like a different manufacturer now the, the new ones have a different feel too but the new ones are dope i don't even really like the old ones they sounded good but like the one the rain that had like eight bajillion buttons small buttons on it i couldn't fuck with that yeah, they had the buttons in crazy places. Like, how am I supposed to hit this wild? Did you have, did you consult any DJs when you made this? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm really happy with the purchase. I feel like by not jumping in on the controller thing early, I waited to the point that like this one that I got is fucking fire. Yeah, now they're good. Now they're good. Yeah, they figured this shit out at this point. Like, it's it's wild. The fact that you can show up to a club like, it's so easy to, to move this whole thing. And this is the bigger one. For comedy shows, I just fucking bring this, bro. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, you bring your mini one. You've had that forever, right? Is that the mini one you've had forever? Is that the Hercules? This is another one. This one, actually, like, you can scratch on it. I had another controller that broke, and I had this with Chappelle in a fucking arena and rocked with this. 
That's crazy. Like I used to crack up seeing videos of, of Shaq DJing because his hands are so big. But like, if you <laughs> proportionally, that's how we look on the controller. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick, I just want to say, what's the house project? Because because when you say you made it on SP12, that's what Todd Terry and all of them were using back in the day. Exactly, a hundred percent. I spoke to Todd and I spoke and I spoke to Kenny also. Kenny Dope and Todd were rocking the SP. I, I I'm getting more into like Todd Terry. Kenny Dope house lately because I was like, yo, they were fucking shit up, That's man. The shit. That's the best shit. Well, I, I the majority of the music I make now and that I've made for years is house. So I'll, I'll send you a folder of stuff. Um, and, but yeah, there's a uh, 10 seconds, volume one and 10 seconds, volume two, two EPs that I put out that were all made on the SP. And those are that streaming and all that now. Yeah. Yeah. That's streaming. We're, I'm pressing up vinyl now, 10 inch, wax to go with the 10 seconds but that's um i just got the test presses why is this guy so dope man i know he put together a nice little life this guy yo thanks for um thanks for the help with the documentary so a track called me which is when my heroes call me i fucking love it Sife, you're five years you're five years older than a track (laughs) my heroes are young soldier boy's my hero soldier boy too (laughs) But he called me and was asking me if I knew about anyone who had footage from the tunnel. He's working on a documentary. And I go, well, the main guy who has footage was this guy, Choke No Joke, and there's always issues with him and Flex. I was like, I have like four tapes from a bullshit camera that I had back in the day. And me getting that footage to A-Track made the call, connected me with some people. He was out of it. And then me and this lady, what was the lady's name? Was it Emma or uh, there's like a two or three? Emma, years. Emma. Yeah. Emma was the, the main connect. Okay, yep. And me trying to get her this footage. Because then they were like, these are like my tapes. And they're like, can you just drop them off? I'm like, I'm scared to drop them off. Like, how are you going to digitize them? Can I be there when you digitize them and just walk away with the tapes? And they're like, no. And then I was on the road. And then she was like, can you bring them today? Like, it was like, I was like, why did I fucking answer A-Track's call? <laughs> and did you eventually do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you. I actually saw, uh, I saw a little clip of it the other day. I think she took a Jay-Z part, right? No, I haven't seen a Jay-Z well, something part. Something from the I tunnel. Saw, I saw something with Flex in the tunnel. Um, and yeah, just for context, uh, I'm, I'm finishing up a documentary about DJing, hip-hop DJing with Showtime and Mass Appeal and executive producers or myself and Questlove. And uh, to me, if you're going to talk about DJing, you got to show some club scenes too. Like it was, you know, picture like this, like the, the, obviously the whole team that's working on the movie will be like, oh, let's talk about the beginning. Uh, let's talk about the forefathers of hip hop. Let's talk about battling. Let's talk about mixtapes. Let's talk about festivals now where the shit went. And I'm like, yes, yes, all this is cool. But the clubs, that's like the foundation of DJing. And you know, I wanted some shit from the tunnel. I've bar- like I never got to go to the tunnel myself. There's very little footage of the tunnel. So Sype helped us get something from the tunnel. If you're looking for a couple of um, funny uh, DJ appreciating um, DJs themselves to add words to this documentary, <laughs> I know this podcast that the, the hosts are fucking tremendous. Um, a track the album you wasn't there a tracking Cameron? it's out right now bro you know that you're your family to this show so whenever you want to come on just you holler appreciate it thanks so much guys and please i'm gonna i'm gonna beg you and i'm gonna start begging everyone what's up please just 
post this clip we give you and tag in. Get people to listen to Wanda. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're going to send you some social work, clips. Man. Of course. We're doing good work for the people who would really like this shit. Of course. And some of those people follow A-Track for sure. And some of them be like, who the fuck are these losers you did an interview with? But whatever, it's fine. <laughs> Your publicist is going to be like, A-Track, you got to stop no. doing this shit. <laughs> stop, stop doing these bootleg interviews without Yo, clearing them I with me. Mention, um, <laughs> can I just mention, and obviously, let me sugarcoat this with, obviously no disrespect, on the contrary, the greatest honor. But during the pandemic, the Sugar Hill Gang's Instagram account hit me up on the DM and was like, we're doing a podcast now. And there's like these two guys in Dubai that like manage the podcast, the actual podcast. And I, and I, and I was a guest on it. And uh, it was one of the gentlemen from the Sugar Hill Gang and a couple of other nice gentlemen. They were all mad cool to me. But like that whole experience of getting on the Sugar Hill Gang's podcast was not on the bingo card for that day, but I'm glad I did it. <laughs> um, uh, A-Track, take care, bro. Thank you. Thank you so much. The great DJ A-Track, ladies and gentlemen. Um, one of our favorites. Saif, before we close out, we do, we, we'd be remiss to not say rest in peace to Coolio. I, I saw him recently. He did my show, but the TV show I was working on. Actually, he didn't come in in person for me. Yo-Yo did his episode, but then we got him on Zoom you know, on FaceTime because he was in a festival in Europe, like a 90s hip-hop festival. He was telling me the lineup. It was crazy. But it's weird to, like, not see somebody ever and then meet them, and then they die a couple months later. I know exactly what you mean. It's a mind fuck, man. A Fantastic Voyage I was I was a fan of. Put it on my first mixtape, I believe, Sife Spring Flavor had a Fantastic Voyage. Played off of CD, terrible offbeat blend. You think I'm offbeat with turntables. Hear, hear me with a CD player. Um, and I remember Coolio getting a lot of hype before he came out in the source. He had a single called County Line that was in like fat tape. and no, I, didn't, I never realized this. He did the Keenan and Kel theme song. He did the Keenan and Kel theme song. He he was on the points with Biggie, Redman, Busta, all those yep. people. Gangsta's Paradise, Saif, I've found that for people like 10 years younger than us, it's like their DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Oh, no, it's a jam. It's like, like they're like, oh, that's when I first heard rap yeah. as a little oh, kid. That's a, it that's, was Gangsta's Paradise. That's a joint. I was one of them. Oh, oh, God. And no no tribute to Coolio would be complete without Billy June showing up. Yes, Billy? What about Weird Al? Weird Al died? No. Weird Al's career went even crazier because of Amish Paradise. Oh, Thank you for mentioning something we absolutely would have left out of this. But also, I know I was saying I was I grew up listening to him, like you just said. Coolio. Yeah. Did you ever meet Coolio at the radio station? No. Saif and I had a run in with Coolio <laughs> of sorts. I, I wonder if we could find it. I have it on tape somewhere. I just need a date. Because sometimes don't get gas stuff can still come up. Let's see, if I type in Cypher Sounds and Rosenberg Coolio, sometimes it'll just randomly go to your, like, your old, okay. How we find it, Cypher? It's on a CD. Bro, that basement is filled with CDs. What do you think he was promoting? Like, Surreal Life or something? Well, I know it was the Rico era, so that'll help us narrow it down. Wait, was it Rico or was it Jake? It was the Rico era, right? 
Because the, the thing about it, the thing why we remember this interview so much is because when he thought we put him on hold, but we didn't yet. And he was still on the line because they're going to connect him now to like another radio station. And so in between, after he finished with us, and God knows what we said, as I was thinking about it, knowing us, we probably were obnoxious dickheads at the time. I could totally have seen us being somewhat sarcastic with him at, like as we were finding our shock jock personalities in 2008 or whatever. But all I know is we're like, okay, thanks, Coolio, bye. And Syph and I are sitting in the Wanep studio and T-Storm still has like the, the thing potted up probably in the room so we can hear. And then we hear Coolio like, yo, man, I'm going to go to New York next time and fucking stab someone. We were like, what? <laughs> These guys tried to play me. I was stabbed. <laughs> These guys tried to play me. I'm going to stab someone. I was like, oh, no, Coolio. But so I wonder if we have that. And knowing us, we probably played that part, too. I would hope so. I, I would hope so, too. How would you not? But anyways, rest in peace to Coolio. He was supposedly a super cool dude. And um, he, he listen, man, say what you will. The man's name Real, it held fame for a very long time. That name Coolio is still known to this day off of just a few joints. But anyways, we appreciate you. We love you. We have a Patreon for you and we hope you'll enjoy it. So sign up for the Patreon at patreon.com slash one ep is life. Billy June, thank you very much. Shouts to uh, the great Emilio Sparks, the whole squad. And um, that's it. I'm I'm doing my salute. If you're just listening to the audio, I did like a salute. Yeah, very hip hop of you. Salute. Salute, son.